Tenneco revives its plan to move its headquarters to Michigan. The Lake Forest-based automotive supplier aims to move its base to the Northville Township office that's set empty since abandoning its original plan to move there in 2020. And numbers suggest that the long-term ratepayer-funded upgrade project from People's Gas will actually cost quite a bit more and take longer than originally thought. I'll talk with Crane's reporter Steve Daniels about that and more on the utility. This is one of those slow-motion train crashes you see coming from uh, miles and miles away and yet seems unavoidable. You know, there have been warnings about a heating affordability crisis for years now. I'm Amy Guth, and this is Crane's Daily Gist for Wednesday, November 2nd. At Wintrust Community Banks, you're more than just another account number. No matter your stage of life, Wintrust's dependable bankers are as dedicated to your financial success as you are. After three decades of serving communities across Chicagoland, Wintrust has built its reputation on exceptional customer satisfaction and a strong local presence. That's why Wintrust is proud to be ranked number one in customer satisfaction in retail banking in Illinois by J.D. Power. Visit Wintrust.com slash J.D. Power to learn more about Wintrust's award-winning banking experience. Members FDIC. For J.D. Power 2022 award information, visit J.D power.com slash awards. I'm joined by a Cranes reporter, Steve Daniels, here to talk about utilities in particular. Let's start with people's gas. So numbers suggest that the long-term ratepayer-funded upgrade project will actually cost quite a bit more and take quite a bit longer than originally thought. So let's start here. Tell me about this. This project has been going on now for over a decade and has had two so far major changes in in the projected cost and also the length of time it would take now reminding people this is a massive infrastructure project akin to when commonwealth edison was building the nuclear plants back in the 70s and 80s it's of that sort of magnitude Uh, essentially overhauling the entire natural gas piping system underneath the city of Chicago streets, People's Gas is the gas utility for the city. And they've been engaged in this now for, well, for decades, but they uh, proposed to accelerate the process back in 2011. And the project has morphed once or twice into something bigger, where not only were they replacing old, outdated cast iron pipes that are prone to leaks, and that's, you know, obviously a worry with natural gas and explosions and all that kind of thing but also converting the entire system from low pressure to medium pressure, which has various attributes that they say will make operating the system better, but is extremely costly. So essentially it's replacing all of the pipes, you know, 2000 miles worth of gas mains uh, in the city of Chicago. Originally that was supposed to be $2 billion. Then it became four and a half billion dollars. And then it became $8 billion. People insist that's what it's going to cost, uh, but if anybody does some simple projections with uh, their quarterly reports that they file with the Illinois Commerce Commission, it looks a lot more like $11 billion. And they said they would get it done no later than 2040, and based on the progress that they're making every year, it looks much more like 2048 or 2045. All of this matters because 
the cost that uh, Chicagoans are paying for their heat is unaffordable for a major slice of the city. Basically, a fifth uh, of the households in the city uh, are, are not able to pay their gas bills. About a third uh, are getting hit with late fees every month because, you know, they either can or won't pay their uh, gas bills on time. So all of that will only get worse because with all of this work, the rates to deliver gas to people's homes and businesses climb uh, inexorably. So that's the issue. Yeah. And as natural gas prices are expected to to keep rising and the utility is facing potentially a, a pretty critical year in Springfield, it feels like it's kind of ratcheted up right now. It's, it feels like it's kind of coming to a head a bit. Absolutely. And, and this has been a long time coming to a head. This is one of those slow motion train crashes you see coming yeah. from uh, miles and miles away and yet seems unavoidable. You know, there have been warnings about a heating affordability crisis for years now. A lot of what kept that from becoming a full-blown crisis that policymakers or lawmakers had to deal with was that the price of natural gas itself was so low. Well, it's not anymore. Last winter, Chicago heating bills were 40% higher than the previous winter. This winter, they may be another 40% higher than last winter. Gas prices have come down a little bit since I did that projection, but it's still going to be bad, whatever it is. And it's going to depend a lot, of course, on, on temperatures. If it's a cold winter, uh, it'll, be, it'll be really bad. If it's a, a kind of a normal winter, it'll just be right. bad. Right. Bad <laughs> so, or really bad. Those are our choices. Exactly. So in terms of uh, where they're at in Springfield, Peoples and other big gas utilities in the state have uh, under state law the ability, because they're all doing these big infrastructure projects, to add a surcharge to their bills to help finance that work. In people's case, they've taken crazy advantage of that to the point where that surcharge is now something like $15 a month for an average household, more for people living in single family homes and things like that. So that's, you know, 160 bucks a year or something like that. That's before they do anything. That's just a charge on the bill. And uh, so that authority is scheduled to expire at the end of next year. Peoples wants it extended. It's highly unlikely to be, given that it's opposed by Governor Pritzker, Mayor Lightfoot in Chicago, and Illinois Attorney General Kwame Raoul. So then the question is going to be, okay, well, if we're not going to, extend that, then what kind of financing mechanism can we get from ratepayers that will give us confidence that we can shell out $300 million a year to do all of this work and recover that money at a profit? Because that's what they've been doing for the last eight, nine years. So that will be the discussion. And it won't just be peoples and the governor and lawmakers and consumer advocates in the room. Unions who benefit from that work are the ones that have done the heavy political lifting on people's behalf to this point, because peoples has virtually no cloud in Springfield. But those unions who uh, represent workers who are contractors of peoples who are laying all that pipe, who are doing all of that work, digging up the streets, putting them back together. Those unions, workers, and those companies benefit greatly from this work, and they're the ones really who've kept that uh, subsidy or that surcharge in place until now. And then pivoting a little, although though it is related, uh, the Lightfoot administration 
released a report that that sort of imagines a future where buildings in Chicago no longer use natural gas for heating and cooking. That's just a report. It's just an idea. But but where might that factor in here? Yeah, it's a little more than that, I think. There is a push. And the city of Chicago is not alone in this. We, there are cities all over the country. San Francisco, I believe, is already a, uh, has a policy of decarbonizing its buildings. But this is more likely than not to happen. Now, the time frame in which it happens is uh, a little bit more up in the air. But, you know, in the future, natural gas is not likely to be heating your home. It's going to be electric. And as part of the decarbonization of our economy. And the city in that report noted that some 70% of the carbon emissions in the city of Chicago come from basically heating buildings, you know, gas service to buildings. So that raises a huge question, of course, in terms of, okay, if that's going to happen, say, the report was talking about within the next 20 years, that's hard to imagine it would happen that quickly. But, you know, let's say 30 years, 40 years. Why are we gold plating our natural gas pipe system as if it were going to last for another 100 years if it's going to be obsolete in 30 or 40 years because of this decarbonization effort? And if that is actually what occurs and we just allow this work to go on the way it's been going on, what you're going to end up doing is sticking Chicagoans with this huge uh, bill <laughs> that will have to be paid. It's not that the utility is not going to get paid. So whether they're actually providing the service or not, somehow or another, they're going to need to be paid for the costs that they laid out. So, you know, we, we saw this uh, with the nukes too. When the nuclear plants were deregulated, there was a, a, a huge amount of money that ComEd had yet to collect for the work associated with constructing and maintaining and updating and upgrading those plants. It took another eight, nine years of ratepayer charges to pay that off after those plants were deregulated. So that would be nothing compared to the unfunded amount here that if indeed we we ended up decarbonizing the buildings in the city and people's had spent $11 billion <laughs> completely overhauling the the system here. So it, it's a that's a train wreck. Uh, and another another train wreck that people can keep, see coming for miles away and we are politicians are very good at dodging these questions obviously and that's kind of what they specialize in. But we, we are a little bit at a moment of truth, I think, given the fact that the surcharge is expiring, uh, that the utility will be there in Springfield with its handout, uh, and that, that we do have these big picture questions. Uh, we, we are a little bit at a moment of truth next year in Springfield about all these things. Yeah, it seems that way. And so where's the reconciliation point? Who, whose head will that fall on the most? Politically speaking, I think the mayor's got a problem, right? She's up for re-election next uh, spring. That will be right after this, whatever this winter of discontent on heating caught, uh, bills, that will be fresh in everybody's minds as they go to the ballot box in terms of municipal elections. So 
you you should expect to see Mayor Lightfoot get more vocal about this, more involved. But ultimately, she's obviously an extremely important voice. She's the mayor of the city, but utilities are regulated by the state. And ultimately, just to be honest, it doesn't have a lot of sway in Springfield. It's not that people aren't going to want to hear what she what she has to say, but it's not like, you know, Mayor Daley in the past or somebody like that who could go down to Springfield and say, this is what I want and more or less get it. So then, you know, it, it's this is going to be fought out in Springfield. And, you know, Governor Pritzker is up for re-election right now. He's ahead in the polls. I think most people think he's going to win. If he does, you'll have a freshly re-elected governor who uh, will be able to call the shots on this question. Again, unions hold a lot of sway with Governor Pritzker. So uh, he's not going to want to make them inordinately unhappy. But he's on the record opposing extending the surcharge. So then the question is going to be, okay, what replaces that? And do we just keep going on in this fashion? Or do we recalibrate entirely the approach to take on updating these old pipes that everyone agrees need to be replaced? I mean, it's not as if 100-year-old or 80-year-old cast iron pipes are okay to just leave there. They're not. But there are, there are cheaper ways to do it. Um, that Peoples has chosen not to pursue and will not pursue unless they're made to. Do you foresee maybe like a compromise sort of hybrid solution? You know, I'm thinking of this this report from the Lightfoot um, administration that was kind of like fines for buildings that continue to use gas, but then also some perks like fast-tracking construction projects and things like that. Might there be a likely solution that's that's sort of a step-in or multi-phase kind of way into that? Or is that just kind of kicking the can down the road? No, I mean, I, I think those are that's a different question than what, what happens with the utility. That's, that's the whole issue of, okay, how do we get building owners to, you know, make the investment to change from gas to heat electricity? It's not a small thing. Um, there will be a, a, a money to assist that, I think, from governments, both federal and maybe uh, local. But nonetheless, uh, yeah, I mean, that's a political hot potato too. It's just not confronting people right away. If the city council or the mayor, whether Lightfoot or uh, a future one, were to say, okay, we're going to fine you, unless, unless you convert your building to electric heat by such and such a date, you're going to start paying these carbon penalties or what, or what have you. You know, you know, people are going to be ang- up in arms about that. And, and, you know, that's a very strong lobby, property owners, real estate interests in the city. So it's not as if that's a slam dunk or, or that's that's all going to happen or going to happen easily. I think in that report, which was largely authored by people who are, you know, advocates for decarbonization, there was acknowledgement of the political difficulty that would come with that. So. That's a hard thing, too. And it's going to require, I think, creativity down the line. It's going to require uh, shared financial burdens, uh, both public and private. And all of those things typically depend on the economics of the time, too. You know, if you're in a recession or what have you, things like that just don't happen. If you if the times are reasonably good, you have you have to take advantage of the windows that are kind of available to you. But all of these things collide to make a 
really, really, just a future that's difficult to predict. And, and, you know, utilities in the past used to be thought of as boring and, and energy used to be thought of as, you know, you don't think about it. You turn on the lights, comes on, uh, the heat comes on, the the hot water comes out of the shower and you pay your bill and, and you don't think about it. But it's not like that anymore. And it's not going to be like that for decades. Yeah, indeed. There's always a lot to unpack here. I appreciate your time. Thanks so much, Steve. Sure. Happy to. Coming up, the Game of Thrones author gives Northwestern's journalism school a multi-million dollar gift. We'll talk about that and more right after this. Are you thinking about earning your MBA? With a fully online iMBA from the University of Illinois Geese College of Business, you can earn your degree on your schedule without ever leaving your home. You'll learn from Geese College of Business's top faculty and build a global network of experienced peers. At an all-in cost of $23,000, it's no wonder the iMBA comes with a 96% student satisfaction rate. To learn more, visit onlinemba.illinois.edu. This is the Crane's Daily Gist with Amy Guth. Powertrain parts maker Tenneco has renewed a plan to establish its headquarters in Northville Township, Michigan, after scrapping the move in 2020. Kurt Nagel, writing for Crane's Detroit business, reported that the Lake Forest-based automotive supplier plans to move its C-suite and administrative base to the 100,000-square-foot office that has set empty since it was constructed for $23 million. A company spokesperson confirmed the plan Monday to Crane's Detroit, but said it is contingent on the company's seven $1.1 billion sale to Apollo Global Management, expected to close in mid-November. The building can house around 400 workers, but the company said it's still deciding its remote work plans. The spokesperson said, quote, being in the heart of the automotive industry obviously makes sense. The company has around 3,500 workers in Michigan, spread throughout offices and plans around the state, and has around 200 workers in Lake Forest. Airline passenger traffic in the U.S. has been running above the comparable levels of 2019, the first time that's happened since the COVID-19 pandemic dramatically cut air travel. Just over 15 million people went through TSA security checkpoints in the past seven days, which is about 39,000 more than in 2019, or an increase of less than 1%, according to TSA data. Bloomberg reported that even as travel demand has rebounded, weekly passenger totals have been hovering well below historic levels. The rolling seven-day total has held above the same period of 2019 since October 27th, according to TSA. Traffic at O'Hare and Midway airports is expected to pick up in the coming weeks as passengers travel for upcoming holidays. And just ahead of the busy travel season, O'Hare topped the new list of most connected airports compiled by aviation research firm OAG. The recognition comes with a caveat, though, as the ranking is largely due to pandemic-related travel restrictions overseas. However, O'Hare was also listed as the second worst among the 20 largest airports in this year's J.D. Power ranking of airports in North America, while Midway ranked 20th out of 27 in its size class. About a week after advocate Aurora Health disclosed a data breach exposing 3 million patients' information to tech giants Meta and Google, 
The health system was hit with a proposed class action lawsuit accusing advocate of ignoring U.S. privacy law and knowingly providing patient information to Facebook parent company Meta. The complaint, filed Friday in U.S. District Court in Chicago, accuses advocate and Meta of violating the Electronic Communications Privacy Act, the Health Insurance Portability and Accountability Act of 1996, and other privacy rights by, quote, knowingly and repeatedly intercepting, accessing, and disclosing personal and sensitive health information belonging to advocate patients without their knowledge or consent. The complaint goes on to state, quote, advocates' conduct described herein was intentional and highly offensive to a reasonable person. The complaint continues, advocates' willful and reckless conduct would cause serious mental injury, shame, or humiliation to people of ordinary sensibilities. Crane's healthcare reporter Catherine Davis reported that Advocate Aurora, which is duly headquartered in Downers Grove and Milwaukee, reported the data breach earlier this month. The healthcare provider explained in a statement on its website that it used internet tracking technologies from companies like Google and Meta to help it collect details about how patients and others interact with its websites. Advocate Aurora, which operates 27 hospitals, says it later learned that these technologies, pieces of code known as pixels that were installed on its patient portal, transmitted certain patient information to Google and Meta and possibly to other third-party vendors. Davis noted in reporting that it's unclear exactly how long Advocate Aurora used pixel technology and when it identified information leaks related to it. Davis also reported that Advocate Aurora said at the time of the data breach announcement that it assumes all patients with an Advocate Aurora Health MyChart account, including users of the LiveWell app and any patients using scheduling widgets on Advocate Aurora's platforms, may have been affected and had information exposed. The complaint against Advocate Aurora follows a group of similar lawsuits filed against other health systems across the country, including some in Chicago. A lawsuit was filed against Northwestern Memorial Hospital in August for allegedly giving sensitive patient health data to Meta via its online patient portals. Rush System for Health was hit with a lawsuit September 30th for exposing health information to Meta, Google, and digital advertising firm Bidtelect. Game of Thrones creator and Northwestern University alumnus George R.R. R. Martin has donated $5 million to Northwestern Medill School of Journalism. Citing a statement from the university, Crane's Brandon Dupree noted in reporting that a $3 million gift will establish the George R.R. R. Martin Summer Intensive Writing Workshop, which will launch in 2024 and provide six to eight authors each summer the, quote, time, space, and guidance to develop their projects. Another $2 million gift will establish an endowed professorship, the George R.R. R. Martin Chair in Storytelling, who will lead the summer workshop. Northwestern President Michael H. Schill said in a statement that Martin is, quote, a prolific and iconic author with an international audience, also saying, quote, we are grateful for his generosity to his alma mater, which will inspire and equip the next generation of storytellers at Northwestern. Martin is the author of A Song of Ice and Fire, a series of best-selling fantasy novels that HBO adapted into the Emmy award-winning series Game of Thrones, for which he served as co-executive producer. Martin is also author of Fire and Blood, the basis for HBO's Game of Thrones prequel, House of the Dragon, which finished its first season on October 23rd.
That's Crane's Daily just for now. Check in on our continuous news feed at chicagobusiness.com. Thanks so much to today's guest, Crane's reporter Steve Daniels. You can follow all of our conversations on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your audio on demand. Don't forget to subscribe and please rate and review Crane's Daily Gist. Our show is produced by Todd Manley at Earsight Studios. I'm Amy Guth. Thanks so much for listening, and I'll meet you right back here next time.